All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Adelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Uh, you know, it's been a heavy time. It's been a heavy few weeks for me personally uh, in terms of uh, dealing with my folks and dealing with my own insanity around where I'm at in my mind, in my body, at my age, in my heart. It's been a it's been a rough few weeks. Not as rough as they could be, obviously. I have a broken foot. But uh but not just, you know, life life is uh is difficult sometimes for any number of reasons, real or imagined. But yesterday was a difficult day. Uh Richard Lewis passed away. The great comedian Richard Lewis. And he's been on this show. He was on this show back in uh, 2011. That was episode 193. Uh, it was a long time ago. It was in the first uh, couple of years of the show. I remember it. I remember him coming over. I remember reading, uh, reading uh, I'm Dying Up Here about the comedy store. I was very nervous because Richard Lewis was one of my heroes. Richard Lewis was one of the guys that when I was starting out at some point earlier in my career, I was compared to, uh, not because I was as good as Richard Lewis, but we sort of treaded in the same territory of introspection, uh, neurotic, uh, observation, darkness. And I never thought I would meet Richard Lewis. I never thought I would spend time with Richard Lewis and then he was coming over to my house and it was still early enough in the show where to this day, I'm, I'm like this. I, I was experiencing a lot of nervousness and, and man, did we hit it off. And it's interesting because a lot of times he's definitely on my list of, of all time favorite comedians, but somehow or another through most of my life, I, I felt like a kindred spirit. Like I knew he was a comic, but I, I felt that we were on the same spectrum whatever that is, addicts, Jews, neurotic obsessives. I just felt like he was a mentor uh, before I knew him, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, some sort of kindred spirit. And it's, it's interesting because after I talked to him that first time, I was kind of lit up and I, and I felt like I never know when or how or if it's possible to be to be friends with somebody, a guest that I talk with on the show because I always put them at another level than me. A lot of them, some of them are not. But uh, over time, you know, I started hearing from Richard. He would email me, you know, mostly about what he was doing, articles about him, uh, things that, uh, that he was excited about. I didn't think that the emails were specifically to me. But there was, a, there was something about Richard where... There was this idea that, uh, you know, like, I'm alive. I'm alive. This is what I'm doing. But it became more personal, and I became uh, a, a little closer to him. I wouldn't say we were close friends, but we were in, in a sort of uh, cosmic way. And I have a lot of those kind of relationships where, you know, I talk to somebody, and I just know that, like, he gets it. He gets me. I get him. 
but uh, it was it, it got sort of surprising and and I, I think the thing about Richard Lewis is that his love for Lenny Bruce and his love for the craft of comedy in an old school way and in a, in a specific way in a stand up comic way not in a comedian way not in a you know, sort of uh, entertainer way necessarily but in stand up comedy his interest and his love uh, for stand-up comedy as an art form and as a way of expressing himself in a very specific form, which was stream of consciousness, which was, you know, taking risks. You know, a lot of people may not have seen Richard as he got older, but, you know, he was out there. I mean, he was out there in his 60s. Uh, he died. He was 76, I believe. Uh, it was very public that he was struggling with, um, with Parkinson's. Apparently, he died of a heart attack, but but he was out there. I mean, he was out there with his stack of notes riffing. You know, he really sort of is a legacy of a type of comedy that is very specific. It's it's Lenny comedy. Nobody really does it. Not many people. I think there's a many, you know, at least two or three generations that know the name Lenny Bruce, but don't understand the drive shaft of Lenny Bruce, the 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 way where you 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 get into a groove you lock onto a riff and and you just go out there and you see where it goes uh not everybody does that very few people do that and richard was was that was the way he did it that was the template obviously him and lenny are different in terms of the way they did it but that was the mode there's there's very few people that riff you know, doing stand-up and doing crowd work, uh, you know, some people call that riffing, but going up there with an idea and just opening it up, it's not, it's not for everybody. It's, it's, it's a very unique and ballsy way to do comedy. And Richard was out there just engaging in the craft nonstop until he had to slow down. And I always respected that. And I'll be honest with you, you know, when I was younger and I was watching David Letterman, and I talked to Richard about this, I, you know, I had the uh, the pleasure of doing his his short lived podcast, and I don't mean that as a joke, alive and unwell, and that's ironic now as well. But he asked me to be on it, and and we and we talked in a very sort of candid way about each other and about ourselves, and I was able to tell him uh, to his face. Uh, on his show, you know, how I felt about him and how he was uh, an inspiration to me before I was a comic, as a young guy, as a kid, as a kid. I would watch him on David Letterman sit down and and just open up that fucking valve, man, and go, you know, just go. And he had this manic pace. He was fidgety. He was always moving. You know, his hair always looked good, always dressed in black, and he would just go. And I would watch him talk to Letterman. And I at I wanted to do that. Like it wasn't I wanted to do comedy, but I wanted to sit down and go. And that was really the main driver for me, you know, asking Conan O'Brien if I could be that guy for him. And he let me. He let me. I was a panel guest. You know, long before I deserved it, long before anybody knew me. Uh, and I was able to sort of 
honor that thing that Richard did. And as a comic, I always had uh, Richard in mind in terms of, you know, what you could do if you if you choose your speed and you have the fucking balls to just go. And it doesn't happen all the time with me, and, and I'm sure it didn't with him. Uh, after a certain point, you get you get riffs that stick, and you you know you repeat them, you add to them. But that was the style I did. It was Richard style. It was Lenny style. Uh, but it wasn't improving like like a Robin Williams thing. This was stream of consciousness. In, in not it's it's a type of improv, but it's really uh, it's really a, a heady thing. And you know it becomes performance. But it wasn't about characters and, and jumping around. It was about just riding the lightning of, you know, being on a riff that's working. And Richard was great at it. He was also, you know, uh, a sober friend. I'd done the A-list years and years ago. He was hosting and I remember he wasn't sober yet. And I remember it was sort of this known thing. That, you know, I want to talk to Richard, but, you know, he was, you know, in the dressing room, he's drinking. He was, he was, he was a different guy. He was a different guy. And I got to just tell you, you know, every time, what a sweetheart and, and, and a supportive guy, despite the fact that he was very self-involved, he was just a very sweet guy and, and he, he made you feel better. And, uh, and if you related to him, you felt seen. But our relationship, again, you know, I can't claim him as a, a close personal friend. But, but every time I got an email from him, I was just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that, that Richard Lewis was sending me uh, an email. He asked me to be on his show, and, and, and I did it. And then on my birthday, when I turned 60, um, he texted me, All the best, buddy. You're an amazing, authentic cat. I love you. Sober brother artist. Uncle Richard. I used to call him Uncle Richard, and he, and he took to it. He was very kind to uh, shoot me an email telling me how much he liked my special and how much it reminded him of, of himself at a different time. And, you know, I don't know. It's a rough time, you know. It's a rough time, uh, I guess always. But I am 60, and I'm seeing more people that I love pass, more people that I respect pass, more people that I'm close to, including my parents, uh, struggling. And it's, it's just life. But still, every time it happens, you know, I, it, it, it's jarring and surprising because, you know, Richard was really too young. You know, our friend Bob Saget was way too young. And these last two guys... You know, Bob, I still can't. And again, I wasn't that close with Bob, but I loved him and we knew each other. I would say we were friends, but not close friends. But it, his passing devastated me. And and Richard's passing is devastating. You know, I, I knew he was sick and it was a difficult illness. Uh, there, uh, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to say it, but it was a gift that he was able to to go out quickly like this in light of that, in light of that illness. But I'm going to miss knowing he's around. I'm going to miss, you know, getting these, you know, kind of erratic dispatches from him. I'm going to miss the fact that, you know, I felt like our friendship in terms of really connecting 
was was a young friendship in a lot of ways. And I when I when I did his show, I I told him I said you you know you can you can still get out there and you know and 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 be funny even in in the face of this illness. And I offered to uh, moderate some shows for him if he just wanted to sit down and kind of riff with me. But he he was not you know he he just didn't feel comfortable. You know, he, he had a very hard time accepting uh, the illness and what it was doing to his body. And it's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. And it's just, uh, it's profoundly sad. He was really uh, a one-of-a-kind person and a one-of-a-kind performer in a tradition, a very specific tradition of, of, of stand-up comedy, of what it meant to be a stand-up comic. And I differentiate between stand-ups and comedians sometimes. But Richard was a true stand-up, and I, and I loved him, and I'm going to miss him, and, uh, and, and I hope he, uh, he rests in peace, but I, th- I feel like that's highly unlikely. So that original show that I did with Richard was episode 193. We did that in uh, 2011, July 18th to be exact. It was a big day for me, a great conversation with Richard. Uh, it's currently uh, behind the paywall, so we took it out and put it up in the regular feed today uh, for people to enjoy and remember Richard Lewis if you want to uh, if you want to spend time doing that. It's a great conversation. Uh, today on the show, I talked to Mae Martin, uh, and they're great. I watched uh, their Netflix special as well as uh, the series that they're in feel good, some of it. Uh, May is a Canadian, but spent a lot of time doing comedy in England. May is also a recurring role on the HBO series, The Flight Attendant. Uh, They're a very interesting act, and I didn't know much about them. And I knew that we were always missing each other at at Largo. They would uh, do a show, and I'd do the next night, and I'd heard about them, and I didn't... uh, I didn't really know what they were up to, and I knew they'd been around for a long time. But, uh, you know, I watched May's special, and I was like, oh, my God, uh, I have to talk to this person. And it turns out, you know, throughout the the conversation that, you know, we had more in common uh, than I anticipated. So so that's that that was exciting. It's it's exciting when you, you meet somebody and you can't see that there would be necessarily common ground other than we are stand-ups uh but it was it was surprising and it was a great conversation tonight i'm at the elysian here in los angeles the next week i'm in portland maine at the state theater on thursday march 7th medford massachusetts at the chevalier theater on friday march 8th providence rhode island at the strand theater on saturday march 9th terrytown new york at the terrytown music hall on sunday march 10th Later in March, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia at the Buckhead Theater on Friday the 22nd. Boise, Idaho, I'm at the Egyptian Theater on Saturday, March 23rd as part of Comedy Fort at the Tree Fort Music Fest. Madison, Wisconsin at the Barrymore Theater on Wednesday, April 3rd. Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Turner Hall Ballroom on Thursday, April 4th. Chicago at the Vic Theater on Friday, April 5th. Minneapolis at the Pantages Theater on Saturday, April 6th. Austin, Texas at the Paramount Theater on Thursday, April 18th as part of the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for tickets. Okay, look, I really enjoyed this conversation with Mae Martin. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a real talk. They definitely have a, a way of, 
of talking that feels like uh, like it's totally put together. But that's just the way of talking because like I found out like, oh, we share a lot of issues. So you can watch uh, their specials, Dope, and the most recent one, Sap, on Netflix, the series Feel Good, which May co-created, is also on Netflix. You can also hear May co-host the podcast Handsome and the Audible series Benefits with Friends. This is me talking to May Martin. Good to finally meet you. Good to meet. Well, we what? okay. We met once right. actually. When Where? I, well, okay, Vancouver. Okay, I was like twenty. Really? Yeah, and I was. I can't remember. Were you, you dressed differently? Oh, I'm sure. I, I think. Did you wear glasses? I or had I... tits, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, probably very skinny jeans. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I was with like Dave Foley, and I oh, was yeah. doing a show. I was. In, Is it the fest? It was a festival, and it was, but it was. Was Tig there? Yes, I met. Yeah. Tig. That was the first time I met Tig too. I met both of you, and both of you were pretty aloof. I mean, I was like, "Who was I?" She's I was always like, aloof, though, and until you get to know her, then you realize that's just the way she is. Yeah, you're like, "Oh, she doesn't hate me." She's yeah, just... that was the period where, for some reason, we always found ourselves dressed similarly. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was. We were pleasant, me and Tig, or I was at least. Yeah, you were pleasant enough. I think I, I was like I was just in way over my head with. Com- I, I think I only had like ten minutes of material at yeah. that point, and I was just booked. To do some like a yeah. televised show with John Doerr and uh, oh, t- not John t- Doerr. Yeah. How's that guy doing? Great, so funny. So you you didn't grow up in Canada, or you did? I grew up in Canada, uh, and what? then when I was like twenty one, I moved to England for twelve. But, 13 but what's years? the background? Because I watched the special and I watched some of the series because I always knew about you, and I, we were always at Largo, almost like alternatingly. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, well, what is she doing? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So now I'm I'm kind of up to speed, but it sounds like um, you had a pretty good childhood. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It was all right. Yeah, I I did have a good childhood. I think because like the story unfolded in the special. I'm like, wow. Well, things got dicey. Things got dark. Yeah, yeah. But where, where, what part of Canada? I grew up in Toronto. Um, Oh, yeah. And then I good city, right? Oh man, it's the best. It's just it's like a dirtier, cheaper New York. You mean a less dirty? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, what am I? Yeah, yeah. Of course. It's, but I'm just—it's more run down though. Like it's, there's uh, there's like a kind of earthiness that New York doesn't. Have. Sure, like, there. That's the uh, I. For years, I'd go to Canada and I'd be like, uh, yeah, it's it's it seems like kind of like America, but there's no fear in the air. Yeah, and uh, and it's a little slower. Yeah, and people ride their bikes at night everywhere. It, uh, <laughs> my parents still don't lock their door or right. anything. Yeah, and yeah. there's no guns. I know. But for years, I was sort of bored by it. But like when Trump was in office, I'd go up there and be like, oh, I'd get off a plane and be like, it's not here. Yeah. Whatever it's down there, it's not here. That tension, that like yeah. oppressive tension. Well, just yeah. with everyone. It, it infuses everybody. Uh-huh. But but it never felt that in Canada. And because of that, I applied for a permanent residency. You did? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a, had a few people try to marry me after the pandemic, like just for the passport and I think they're it. onto that, though. Aren't the Canadian yeah. governments? They, I think they, yeah. they would. They make sure it's legit. Yeah. But so you, uh, you just in, you were just in the city. Yeah, I was right in the city, and then. But my dad's British, and so we would go there a lot. Your and, dad's British. Yeah, he's super British. Like, so now, do you have both passports? I have both passports, so that's why I moved to England in my twenties. And I, yeah, because you just could. Because I could, and everyone else was moving to the states, like other comics, and who'd you start with? In Canada? Yeah. Like, who came down here that like, I would know? 
Um, well, I, like Nathan Fielder was yeah. in Toronto at the same time. As He's me. Canadian. Yeah, yeah, he was doing it, sketch and stand-up. but no stand-up. He did stand-up. He did stand-up, but it, yeah, yeah, he was hilarious. I don't know what's up with that guy. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> you got to get him on here because I'd like. To, I believe I, we tried. Oh, and, really? And I think he has. I think he manages whatever that thing he is pretty well. Yes. I, I don't get the sense that he wants to go too deep into Nathan Fielder. No, he wants to curate it a bit. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Maintain the uh, the socially awkward neurotic mystique. Yeah. But what kind of stuff was that guy doing as sketch? Was it this similar to uh, what he does now? Was he ever normally at all? Uh, no, never normal. No, no. but always, <laughs> always. He, he was one of those guys who, like in a smaller circuit like Toronto, one guy starts blowing up and then everyone starts doing what they're, right. what they're doing. So right. everyone sort of started becoming Nathan Fielder. And, oh, God. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's an incredible aspiration. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't think that he would have one of those personalities that was contagious. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody started getting a little surreal and kind of anti-comedy. Uh, um, but uh, there's great, there's still great comics up there. But then, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sabrina Jalise moved down here. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, I was I was like I'll never go to LA. It's so fake and shallow. And then I got here and was like oh, I I don't know what that says about me. I love it. Well, it's just a city. I mean, it's like, just a city. It's not at all yeah, fake. Yeah. And people, uh, the conception is that show business people are just like robots walking around Los Angeles. I know they have no sense of the sprawling nothingness of this city. Exactly, and you, the nature and yeah, and you also do have access. maybe because there's more opportunity there is less competitiveness like people are actually more genuine because there's more of a sense of like there's room for all of us and there's well that's interesting i think so like Be in in toronto definitely it can get a little cutthroat well yeah because there's like like one tv network yeah or <laughs> yeah and and there's like you know a handful of clubs like right but it seems i've always thought that if you live and work in canada that eventually you'll get your shot do you think yeah maybe once I don't know. I know. Is that not true? I know people who are so good, like just better, just amazing comics, yeah. and they're just the infrastructure hasn't been there for them just, to. Yeah, they're like, just doing Breslin clubs. Yeah, yeah, just sort of headlining and and um. But now it's changing because of streamers and stuff. Like people are, yeah, they're trying doing more productions there. Oh so, really? You yeah. mean uh, American productions or or CBC stuff? Like they opened a Netflix Canada that oh, they they're did. putting a lot of energy into and Amazon and things like that. Oh, so, they're there. Yeah, so there's they're there. <laughs> Where are they in Vancouver or Toronto? Toronto, I think. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Toronto because like I was doing some serious thinking about like if I actually see. I, I apply for permanent residency, which is sort of like a green card. Yeah. Which you have to spend two out of every five years up there to get the health care oh. and to work. So that's the deal. In a chunk or? No. Oh, okay. No. Right. Yeah. But like, uh, but I thought like, even if, even if I don't use it, yeah. it's bought me, you know, a few years of peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. The healthcare thing is huge. <laughs> is it all right? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. So, yeah. all right, so you're growing up in Toronto. Not, It's not rural. It sounded like it was rural where you grew up. No, it's like city. Just city. Yeah. And, and what'd your dad do? He's a writer, so... Like a successful one? He was a... Growing up, he was a food critic. And uh, ah. yeah, so that was sick because we would get to go to restaurants. Yeah. But it was the 90s, so it was yeah. a lot of like... I feel like sun-dried tomatoes were big <laughs> and like Alfredo sauce, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Trends. And, yeah. And then... Uh, yeah, and then uh, I never liked sun-dried tomatoes. No, I never liked them. Me neither. Yeah, and then what happened? Then yeah, I started taking improv classes at Second City when I was like thirteen. That's what I I got obsessed. So were you like uh, like notorious for being like the youngest Second City person kind of thing? 
Yeah, I got all that, like, um, all that. Attention? Yeah, which is so seductive at that age and addictive. What made you do it? Like, who were you watching that made you want to do it? Well. It's kind of a, I mean, I I loved comedy when I was like 11 and 12. Same, yeah. But I, I, I was watching old guys. Who were you watching? Old guys too, like my yeah, my parents are comedy fans. And oh really? So I had two. I had like my mom was into American, you know, Steve Martin yeah. albums. We listened to like sure. vinyl Steve Martin and yeah. Richard Pryor and yeah. George Carlin, and she took me to see Seinfeld. I think on stage when I was young, and George Carlin, she took me to see and Kids in the Hall. That right, was, that was massive for me. Yeah, Canadian, sure. like, yeah. and they were like rock stars, like everyone was shouting out the punchlines to their sketches and yeah. I was just like, what is happening? And they're yeah. like in drag and... And this is when you were a kid. Yeah, like yeah. 11 or something. And they were doing live shows, but it was... The series had been on already, right? Or yeah, they... this is like a reunion tour. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. And then my dad was into British comedy and like Python and... Um, Any of the stand-ups? Less so. Like, all the British comedy I've loved is kind of sketch. Like French and Saunders and The Young Ones and Yeah, no like, Stuart Lee... No, that was sort of after his time. Oh, so okay. I, I, when I moved to England, I was like, I, everyone he was like, he's the comedian's comedian. Right. And, but by the, when I saw him, I mean, I get it now. Right. But moving to England, having not grown up with him, and then the show I went to see him do, he was just, uh, I think, making fun of another comic for like an hour. like that. But I didn't know the comic. I was like, what was is it? Going was on? it the Franklin Ajay record? Was he, or was it an English comic or an American comic? It was comic? an English comic. Oh, it was, was just like a new material night, and he was just ripping into this comic who, who I didn't know so it, was, it all felt very inside and sure. everyone was like yeah but now I understand the genius yeah yeah he, I, I had always heard about him and then I saw him once in Edinburgh and I I got it he's got like his own time zone you know his own yes. thing his own pace exactly smart very smart yeah and uh, it's nuanced I learned something from him though yeah because he quit for a while you know because he couldn't take it he couldn't take performing for audiences that were dumb or didn't get him oh really yeah he just he just i think he just hit the wall and he stopped for a while and then what brought him back was him realizing that it's not on him like if you know he he found empathy for the people that were in the audience that didn't get it because they just made the wrong choice right right (laughs) you know what i mean and i thought and that helped me look at things yeah like it didn't you know it didn't make me think everyone's a fucking idiot i've just never had that maybe I've got too much self-loathing to like be mad at an audience really ever it's always gonna go back home I, I'm always like I'm I'm just not doing my job right oh if really I'm, yeah like I mean occasionally you're like a, especially if you're touring big clubs and there's sure. like bachelor parties and shit and I, the, yeah That's I would worst. get outraged yeah. <laughs> for sure yeah but in general I wish I had more of that like uh, I feel that, like I'm desperately trying to get oh yeah no matter what approval yeah I don't know. I, I I know when I'm doing a good job, and I know when an audience is flat. And I and the last time I did a club run, there was a bachelorette party. Oh, really? And and I know now I draw my people, so it's a fluke. Yeah. Like I don't know who would. They can go online now yeah. and just see who they're going to see. Yeah. So I'm like, why are they here? And I told them, I said, it's not going to be a great night for you. And mm-hmm. and I'm because I'm I'm not really the guy. And you still have enough of a night left if you go now. You said this before. You no, even I said it on stage. Really? Oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> and they left. They did? They did. Oh, nice. Well, to be honest, good for them for being like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like if this is your, I don't know why they come yeah. to comedy clubs. I still can't understand why it's some sort of institution that bachelorette parties come. Because I think they just expect us 
just to, to, shit on to riff with them all night. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a really like outdated perception of what it's very is. bizarre. Yeah. So wait, so you're at Second City, and you're just doing sketch. Yeah, I was doing improv and sketch, and then thirteen when I was thirteen, and then I dropped out of school when I was fifteen to to do stand up and do it full time because really quickly because there was like. I guess buzz around being so young, even though I was a bad, objectively bad. They, I uh, at improv, at everything. <laughs> I just like You're a kid. Yeah, I was a kid. I yeah. was desperate to do it though. But yeah. then, um, yeah, I so I was doing like four or five nights a week, and I was just really tired in school. So I did they have you play the kid all the time? Yeah, well, it was just me and my friends. So I I would mainly play adults, mainly play my teachers and things oh, like that. But 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 at Second City when you were taking classes and stuff. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I guess I was often the kid. Yeah, in my school <laughs> uniform sometimes. Yeah, you had a school uniform. I did. I went to like a private school till I was like thirteen, and then like a Catholic school. It was an Anglican school. Anglican. Yeah. What's the angle on that? The angle is. Uh, you how's know, it different? It's a Anglican Church of England. Is that what it is? It's pretty mellow. Yeah. You. All I remember is we had a carpeted gymnasium, which it was like they were so convinced that. All the, we wouldn't do any sports. Yeah, that we had a lot of rug burns and stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, and we had to say good morning to Jesus, sort of and uh-huh. vague, vaguely. But there was no guilt, no plaid skirts, that none of that kind of like business. tunics. Yeah, tunics. It was one of the most unattractive uniforms you could ever imagine. Was that the intent? Do you think? Yes, I think it was. I think it was to totally <laughs> desexualize like everybody. Well, everybody, that's good. Yeah, I think children should be desexualized. Yeah, if possible. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was all girls. It was all girls, and I didn't feel like. A girl, so I had like all through. Well, in elementary school, it was good because I was like, I felt like the like the only boy in the class, and people were really into it. Yeah, and I would do like Backstreet Boys dances, and people would be like, "Yeah, yeah this guy's cool." And then puberty hit, and everybody like, I just felt like an alien. Like they all had the bright stationery and lip gloss, and like it's like they were born just knowing how to be girl. A girl? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, what?" And, so when you started. To feel that way, you were how old? Like that you were just not fitting. Well, I always felt like, I remember even being like five years old and looking in the mirror and being like, like actively being like, I'm not like fucked up about it. Yeah. So always. But fucked then, up about it. Yeah. Like just a, being like. A what? mild confusion. Yes. Like, like quite an acute, like. Right. I'd be like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happened? What is going on? Yeah, yeah. And I always had short hair and I my parents let me dress however I wanted to dress or whatever. But they were pretty progressive? They were about some things, yeah. No yeah. religion in the house really? No, they were like staunch atheists. So they just sent you the to the Anglican school because it was a good school. Yeah. I that think kind so. of thing. What'd your mom do? She never really did she well, she worked she sort of ran our lives and then briefly How worked. How many siblings? Just me and my brother, oh. and then they they had another Older? child who died before right before I was born. Oh, there was Jesus. A, a third one. So how old did he die at? He was two and a half. Oh my God! I know. Can you imagine? No. Anything worse? Yeah. And then, but I have an older brother, four years older. What was he sick? <clears throat> yeah, he had leukemia. Oh my God, that's so heavy. I know. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mind. But like, it, it, so you kind of like there was an awareness of that, I guess, once you. Yeah, it's, got to a certain age. Were there pictures around and stuff? It's weird, you know. I I never talk about it because it feels like their tragedy. Sure. And so I've always felt like, but it definitely was omnipresent, like in the house. Yeah. Like I, I mean, there weren't really many pictures. I think. Yeah. They were doing what they could to just kind of 
get by by yeah. compartmentalizing. And now they talk about him a lot more, but I definitely felt I knew that there something mega had happened before, and I and I definitely felt like this the weight the, the weight of it yeah, yeah. it's like the telltale heart you know yeah, like right. yeah, in yeah. the house under the floorboards yeah 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 oh my god i think about it a lot they, now. T- they talk about it now you know not not much i i think at a certain point you're like but they've integrated it like, yes like they have pictures of him up and they sure you know, my yeah. dad actually wrote a book when in his 40s about yeah. it, where he talked about it yeah um a memoir kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so heavy because, you know, I've talked to people about this kind of thing before. And, you know, people that go on to have other kids, there's just this, that that weight of grief is always there. I know. And people are like, why, you know, uh, why, why'd you do comedy? And I, I think, I definitely remember one conversation where someone said to me, like, in an offhanded way, like, Oh, and and you were sent to cheer us up after this terrible tragedy, you know. And and it was just you say something like that in a poetic way, but when you're like four, you're like, all right, that's my job. Like, right, let's do this. So when you start, you know, sort of feeling, I, what would you, what word would you say, awkward? Yeah, sure. But you never got any. I guess the gift is that you did not get any resistance from your family. Yes. Yeah. I think like I I had a core kind of armor from my parents being like my dad used to be an actor in musical theater and stuff. So he was, they always had gay friends and stuff like that. And I, although they're, you know, in the nineties, you didn't know any trans people, but they were, I definitely knew that I was all right to be myself. Right. And then, uh, yeah, in my teens I started, but I I was always really attracted to men. So in my teens I dated men and, and girls and, but it took me until my thirties to sort of lock in. To lock in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm locked in, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess there wasn't like. I mean, all this stuff is because I'm I'm probably as old as your dad. How old is he? Sixty six. Oh no, I'm sixty. So this whole spectrum of of uh, gender stuff is relatively new to me, even. Yeah. You know, I mean, I certainly you know have you know I knew plenty of gay people and plenty of. Uh, um, not I didn't, but you know, transit didn't. It was not a a, yeah. a category. I know. Like I remember, what's uh, Chaz Bono? Like yeah, that was sure. like l- truly in the nineties. I was that's all I I had heard of. Were you like it's possible? No, I was. I didn't even know till my thirties. Like that yeah. I was like uh, so unhappy. I, yeah. I just thought I was. Yeah, it was so crazy. Oh, but so I think, that's how it sort of manifests. It's like a, a unhappiness, but it, it, you know what? But what is the feeling like? You are alien within yourself. Yeah, it was kind of like it's like. Well, when I was like thirty-one or thirty, I I I, I was like I, I've thought about having top surgery like every day. Yeah. For fifteen years, and yeah. I, I it kind of didn't occur to me that like everyone didn't think about that. Right. Right. I was like, oh, and and it was kind of like when and then I started using they pronouns and just feel and yeah. and now I'm on like a low dose of testosterone and as soon as I had that surgery it was like it was like there'd been like a fan in the room going yeah. that I didn't realize yeah. that someone just turned off the fan and it was like oh my god my whole life this annoying fan has been on like <laughs> or I've, yeah. yeah but so it's it's been cool and what is the effect of the uh, testosterone I don't it's like I, uh, I'm not sure because it's so incremental yeah. but it's like 
my voice has changed slightly and my weight distribution. It's all just like trying to feel wild. a little bit more like myself. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, but it's it's wild because it is it does feel like such a new phenomenon, but it's of course so ancient and like as I know you talk about that in the special that there that you know, I don't know that I've heard it explained like that that there there is a spectrum of gender that's always existed. Yeah. It just now it's gotten a little more specific. Yeah, I'm still also. Anytime I'm like talking about it, I'm yeah. so afraid I'm gonna say the wrong thing and, and alienate my own community because I'm I don't know I didn't go to it's high tricky. school like I don't know anything. <laughs> but being put in a position where I'm talking about it a lot, I have met interesting experts and stuff who I'm learning a lot about like science and like biology yeah. and how there's such a spectrum and everything and this whole idea that everything is binary yeah is like a recent colonial idea not, oh that's interesting yeah. and that's and that's a, uh, a a scientific study and not a psychological or cultural study i guess it's a mixture it's both and yeah so i always thought like oh yeah gender is sort of cultural and yeah and then of course there's biology and i think that's true but then also if you dig deeper the more you dig the yeah. more there's really no absolutes and in all across nature there's variations and like biological right. gender as well right. I don't know whatever well no but that well that was uh, yeah I mean you don't have to totally educate me I can, <laughs> I, I can go do the reading I guess yeah, yeah. but uh but no but the idea that like you know sex you know procreative sex is like specific in a certain way yeah but that's just a, a, a narrow zone yeah. of defining sexuality yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah I, I even I didn't realize you know men can lactate and breastfeed like uh, really yeah like seriously, if you had a baby, you just have to focus really hard. Literally, you just get the baby on your nipple, and and you can lactate because your hormones change. Your body knows what to do. Oh, because of the baby. Yes, and yeah. so you're you can lactate almost enough to feed a baby and keep it alive. That's crazy. That's so fucked, right? No, I, I guess it's kind of interesting. It's cool. I, I guess it takes a certain type of dude. Yeah, to be like, you know what? I'm gonna breastfeed oh, yeah, this me, baby. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So. When, uh, so you drop out of high school, but at that time you're just kind of, you just feel a certain way, but you're just dating whoever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's never really been a, a massive part. Like yeah. I never, I only have had to talk about and think about identity because of what I do now, yeah. now as an adult and stuff. But in my teens and stuff, I was just. Just doing comedy? Yeah. I just living my life. Yeah. And just doing drugs. Just really. That was, yeah. I mean, that was surprising to me. Like, you know, when you brought that up in the special, I was like, really? This is the big thing we have in common. Like this is, I've always felt a kind of, yeah. like, I've been so grateful for the way you talk about addiction yeah. and like, it's, yeah. Cause I think we, we have a similar kind of. Well, it sounds like, uh, like at least you like the same drugs as me. Yes, um, insatiably. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was sort of surprising because, you know, the way you talk about your family and, and outside of whatever struggles you had within yourself around, um, sexuality or gender it seemed like you had a lot of good support and pretty open-minded parents which i guess i did too because i think there's some part of me that wants to blame the upbringing for something yeah but ultimately the only thing you can really blame is that there's some sort of legacy there's a you know a generational yeah, something for sure that makes us compulsive drug addict people yeah there's something that uh yeah creates a a, a dearth or something that when you yeah, have I, the drug. You're, it's assuaged yes. in a way that yeah. for other people it's not. Yeah, and I guess is that. Well, then, but the, I'm, I'm. I don't know how you are with it, but like, 
you know, the idea of self-medicating, I get that. Yeah. But if, if I'm, I'm sort of adverse to regular medication. Right. Really? <laughs> I yeah. am. I yeah. am. Okay. And, I, I, and it's not great. Yeah. Because the anxiety levels and the levels of dread and then, yeah. you know, finding out, figuring out, you know, manageable things I can be compulsive with yeah. that won't destroy my life. Like, I, I don't know why I'm stubborn about, like, I don't want to be on uh, anti-anxiety or antidepressant. I'm trying to get off them. I'm on, I'm on just like a, an antidepressant. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I went on it, I guess, at some point. Yeah, so feel, you know, sure. And now I've been on it for so long. And I'm, right. And, then and you're it, curious? Yeah, I'm curious. And then, the, but they're always like, well, if it's working, don't mess with it. Right. Like, oh, I don't, yeah, I guess. Oh, I no. Know. So yeah. you're, you're kind of like, you know, you want to pull the uh, the stop out? Yeah. I'm curious, but then I don't know. <laughs> you but, know, go spiraling down. Yeah. So when did you start using drugs? Sort of as soon as I, I mean, I always, I think even as a kid, I remember being like a, like a hedonist. Like I wanted yes. more of everything. Well, I, I also was, all my heroes were like drug addicts. Of course. Yeah. I right? definitely was, romanticized. And when like, I saw people smoking, I'm like, I'm going to do that. Yes. My parents <laughs> smoked in the house. So that, oh my God. Yeah. I would, Did you smoke? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still struggle with like, I have one cigarette a day now. I'm on the, I'm on, I just was, I got off nicotine for a month, but now I'm back on the, uh, pouches a little bit oh i'm trying to oh yeah i i was on lozenges i've been nicotine's been the bane of my existence really? forever the most i ever had off it was three years oh man and i felt pretty good i think i quit in in my 20s i yeah. quit and then in the pandemic i started having just one a day and i know i'm that can't be a physical addiction it's like habitual but i can't seem to stop you just have one one cigarette every night i look forward to it all day yeah that's sarah silverman's the same but i'm like i i gotta stop what am i doing well, because eventually you'll be like oh it's two it's two in the <sighs> afternoon I can... as i'm i'm just realizing i'm lying a bit i it is, <laughs> it's it's often two it's often one at lunch yeah, I gotta stop. I gotta stop because it creeps back. It's yeah. so bad. But, but yeah, so then when I was thirteen, I became like a big stoner pothead, and then uh, but then I was hanging out with adults. So at Second City at the time, yeah, there were really was, they were just turning the kid on. Yeah, there was a lot of coke around, and then um, but I also I think I I might have been the one bringing the coke in in I I don't know as a fourteen year old. Yeah, like I or fifteen, like yeah. I found. I, I started dating a, a much older guy, and he got me into it. And oh, that guy, that guy. There's always that yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was that, and then, uh, and then I really loved it. And the it coke, was so, yes. What about the booze? Never had a problem really with booze. That's never balanced all. the coke with the booze, just straight up coke. For sure, but I've never. If if I'm drunk, I never want to drink the next day. Kind right. of thing. No, yeah, no, but it's like always been stimulants. But you got didn't you have to like balance it with booze yeah i guess so i guess, yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, all right so you're 15 you're dating an older guy who turns you on to blow you're bringing it to second city yeah none of my friends were really doing it and then i, I when he broke up with me i i found coke elsewhere yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and was like well still got this and, and this then, is in canada this is in canada yeah yeah <laughs> wow and so when when does it be, what kind of jokes are you doing are you doing sketch what are you doing around then i was doing i mean the most self-indulgent stand-up uh all my fun sketch friends yeah. were like you're weird and then i was doing i was like smoking cigarettes on stage and yeah. trying, to, trying to be like mitch hedberg and yeah. that is so not who i am and uh i'm so glad that there weren't smartphones yeah yeah 
I, I know. I talk to, like, I see these new comics, like, putting up everything they do in their first year. And I'm like, what are you doing? I That's know. not going to go away. I know. It's <sighs> crazy. Yeah. Um, Insane. So when do you get your first, you know, opportunity that you, in terms of knowing you're on the right path? I think. <clears throat> Outside of the attention of being a younger person. Did you do Just for Laughs as a kid? I didn't do Just for Laughs. Yeah. But I, I definitely. It, it, yeah, it was kind of tricky because in my early teens, I got like Canadian Comedy Award nominations. Oh yeah, okay. I would so pop you, up on TV. So you're doing clubs at 15. Doing clubs and and TV and stuff. Yeah. And then, and then went so off the rails and was like kicked out of my house. And so well, I, so how did that go down? That was not good. <laughs> yeah. 15. Yeah. That's when you ran off to England. No, I I moved in with some old boyfriend and in Canada. Yeah. And you just were just doing blow every day? No, that's when I sort of so like 16 17 I stopped doing blow and I yeah. was just doing other all the other ones, all really? the other things and yeah. then and then yeah, I was kind of couch surfing for a while and then like oh, kind of lost. So lost and then and then finally when I started doing comedy again at like 20 after a couple of years just being just being too messed up to do it, I I went to rehab and then I at twenty. Yeah, nineteen. Where? In Toronto. Oh, yeah. all right. I put myself there. Like an inpatient? No, it was a day program, but I did it for nine months, Monday yeah. Monday to Friday. Yeah. But you know, and did it work? I think it did in a way. It was it was harm reduction, so it wasn't abstinence, and I I don't think I would have gone if it was. Yeah. A, a live-in thing, you right. know, but it felt manageable and I was so broke and I knew that they would give you one free packet of instant noodles and one packet of oatmeal <laughs> and that you'd get, and I wanted to reconnect with my parents too. So, so how long like, were you out of the house? How long did that, how, how, what was the drama in kicking you out of the house? I don't know. I mean, if you ask them, I'm sure they would have a totally, their experience of it must've been very painful and different, but mine was that it, I think they were really angry at being lied to. And yeah. um, I think there was an ultimatum of like, you can go to uh, work with turtles in South America. We'll, yeah. we'll pay for you to do that. And that's, I a, was that's abstract. Very abstract and specific. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, but I have a comedy career and I don't want to do that. And <laughs> where did that come from? The turtles? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's awesome. Yeah. They must have read about some program for, for, uh, I think for drug addicts. Completely, That yeah. involved uh, working with turtles. I know. And I was like, what is, I don't want to meet these turtles. <laughs> they heard it on a radio show or something. <laughs> that seems like a good thing for me. I've never expressed any interest in turtles. <laughs> yeah. So it got, it got ugly. Because, like, you, you know, you don't present now as somebody that would be, like, some sort of uh, total fuck-up. Well, this is the weird thing thing is like I, I don't think I ever even really raised my voice like I I was always this person I just right. was like uh, lying all the time and high all the time but I never I was never mean I think or yeah were you stealing uh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I was stealing and being a real asshole but yeah. just always being like hello yeah uh, yeah yeah it must oh, that's be. even uh, that's a little more intense actually. yeah so I think they did tough love yeah um which I don't think is the best Way, well, it just really. sent you out into the into the streets to couch surf and do other drugs for how many years? We barely spoke for a, about two years, oh. and then um, and then we reconnected, and now we're super close. And it feels like we were all just having like a psychotic episode or something in that right. time. Like it, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all we're a lot closer now. And so the rehab, the was it AA driven? I guess it wouldn't be. No, it was like a youth. 
um, harm reduction day program. And they, you know, we would like cook. Self-harm reduction kind of thing? No, like, so harm reductions just means like a model that's not abs- like forced, sort of absent. Okay. Like you'd come in in the morning and they'd go, what drugs did you do last night? And you'd, it was the first experience I'd had where I could say and no one would be mad at me. Yeah. And they would really meet you where you were at and oh. be like, okay, well, that's less than you did the night before, so that's good. Or why right. do you think you did that? And yeah. having adults be kind of not mad yeah. <laughs> was really good. And the other kids in the program, did you make any long-term friendships or just more drug buddies? I'm in touch with, with, with one of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, at first we, it was just like... Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, at 3 p.m. every day we'd go and... <laughs> Yeah, egg each other on, but try try to do less than you did yesterday. Exactly. Yeah, we played a lot of poker and yeah, yeah. Um, but they were really. It was very eye opening. I had a lot of shame about like my privilege because these kids had come from really tough backgrounds. So yeah, I was just like, what is my problem? Like, these... I know it's weird when you you sort of have it and you can't really track it. Yeah. to environmental uh, problems. I mean, even in twelve step meetings, sometimes you're like. Listening to other people's stories. Yeah, Yeah, you're just like, oh, sorry, everyone. But then if you really think, though, like I have that experience, too, when I would go to meetings. Like, you know, whatever your bottom is or however you got, however close you got to it. I mean, I think some people are just built for low bottoms. Mm. But, I mean, you do, it is relative to how much you compromised who you were for the drugs. Right. And what danger did you get into? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And not everybody's cut out for the full ride to the bottom. But, yeah. you know, you, it's it's all relative. Yeah. And you're just lucky if you're not a low-bottom person. Did you have, did you hit a, a bottom? or? Yeah, it just yeah. got scary. And, you know, I was, uh, in, and I'd gone in and out for years. Mm-hmm. For years. I mean, I, the first time I got sober was in 1988. Oh, after I, I coked myself into psychosis. At the comedy store. Whoa. I was a doorman. I was 22. And I drove back to Albuquerque and I went inpatient for a month. And then I'd stay sober for like a year and a half here, 12 months there. Um, But, you know, I'm going to have, I guess, 25 years this year. Congrats. But but that's starting in 88. So I was in and out. It took me a long time to get it. Mm -hmm. But but by the time I really got it, I I had surrendered to a type of self-hatred and resignation around never being successful or never manifest, you know, and I was yeah. married and, uh, and yeah. it, to a woman that it was not correct. Yeah. And I was hiding the drug addiction. It was like, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a bottom, but I, you know, and there were moments during that because, well, for me, because I was married, I was, I had to go do it on the road. Yeah. So when you're kind of like doing that, where you're looking forward to like getting out of town in two weeks, you're really going to hit it pretty hard and yes. you're going to be what weirdos. I and, know. you know, there might be guns around and people are going to rob you. It's just, yeah. I feel like when you use drugs that you exponentially, uh, the possibility of, of dying somehow. Yes. Car, gun, weird people, whatever, drugs. It's yeah. just gross. Oh, the situations you yeah, get exactly. yourself in and yeah, I... And and then you have so many bottoms that don't end up being bottoms, like the sure, because you take a yeah. break, yeah, and then you're like, I am, I guess I'm okay. That's, that coke induced psychosis thing, like I had like a maybe a nine hour kind of auditory hallucination. Yes, have you had that? And I would have auditory hallucinations a lot. Yes, if, but sadly, it was it's always sounded like a crowd of people. I know what you mean. <laughs> yes, and I. 
And you're just kind of like, what are they talking about? Yeah. And coming out of that nine hours and realizing that it was all not there, because I really thought I had heard all kinds of stuff. And then, yeah. And then you think, and then, yeah, the next day you're doing it again. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I Yeah, that, the losing the mind thing. Yeah. But also I got very sort of like, you, you know, kind of... um paranoid like i thought i understood mystical things oh right yeah which is a fucking nightmare or like ascribing mystical importance yes. to like coincidences and that's things right and right yes you yeah. did that too yes yeah that's yeah, totally yeah. the cocaine psychosis yes Man, it took me a long time to shake that totally mm. because once you put those those um like systems in place yeah where once you as- as- ascribe mystical importance to yeah. to coincidences yeah i mean your brain kind of believes it I know, and then we're in LA, where everybody feels that uh, this, there's like, so many hippies around, being like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's all connected. Well, I was at the comedy store thinking I was part of some like weird, evil, mystical, yeah. you know, uh, like it was big too. It was end of the world stuff, and it all Whoa. had to do with Hollywood, and some of it was about you know the devil and the comedy. So oh, like, wow. I, so I had big ideas, man, and I was oh hanging out God. with Kennison, who was not a great uh, mentor, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to start thinking evil shit, he's going to be the guy that's going to feed it. I was dating a, a much older guy who was convinced that the book, The NeverEnding Story, was like the story of his life and, and <laughs> like that everything. This is the guy you did coke with? Yes. Okay. And, and I was like totally on board with it and, and, and that something was <laughs> fucked up was going on with this book. And right. We, and yeah. You guys knew. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's the vibe. It took me a long time because I would come back to L.A. after I, I kind of after I would clean up in, in, and then I come back and I get to the comedy store and it was still had that that haunted zone. Yes. Yeah. I think I, for me getting away from I got banned from Second City for two years. Yeah. And that was helpful. And uh, and then it's what you were saying, though, about just. I mean, you were looking f- your your day to day life. You weren't happy, so you were looking forward to getting away from it. And and it's only pretty recently that I'm like really pumped about my home life. Yeah. Like and yeah. Well, it's some bigger version of that cigarette yeah. at the end of the day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a bigger <laughs> exactly. version. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, but like it when I finally got sober for real, and I came back to L.A. You know, it did take a while for me just to realize like this is just a place, dude. Right. You know, like, and I always quote this Tom McGuane quote where he says, uh, the mind is not a boomerang. If you throw it too far, it won't come back. Oh, that's a great quote. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I realized, like, I had to reel it in. I had to decide to shut that shit down. Yeah. Because I have that mystical thing where, mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll be like, come on, why did this just happen? Yeah. Yeah. But you can't, there's nothing wrong with it a little bit. Yeah. But like, you, you know, things happen for a reason or however you want to frame it. But yeah. if you're sort of like, this is a sign. Yeah. And uh, fuck. That's a red flag. And yeah. I do it a little though. I do too. I, yeah. But then I got to stop it. I got to be like, no. And I have to be super vigilant, vigilant about yeah. like not glamorizing or not. I mean, all through my 20s, I thought suffering was so crucial to the creative process and that even though you know that that's not true it's so hard to get out of that way of I know thinking. I never thought I like like I talk about that a lot where where I never felt like I was incur you know like I was encouraging my mental suffering for mm. my art mm. I did understand that like yeah tormented people do creative shit yeah and, you know comics are sad and whatever the struggle and all that but like I wasn't necessarily aspiring to that I I it was just who I I am right 
Do you know what I mean? Like I talked to my buddy Sam even last night where I'm like, I have this anxiety and I'm tired of it. And he's like, yeah, but it's sort of what fuels you. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not great. Yeah. And you, and I think that's a, a myth a little bit because you don't know how productive you'd be without it. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, maybe. I, I kind of have built a system and yeah, I do yeah, okay. That, yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I know that people, you know, seem to do a lot more things than me. Like, I don't even understand how people like, you know, when you just see people that are like, you have 90 different things going on yeah. and they just seem to be showing up for all that. It's like, and then these people that have to you know manage their social media presence every day and stuff like, yeah. I spend a lot of time not doing work and I like it, but I'm very busy. Yeah. Like, you know, for me, it's like if I got to cook something or go to the supermarket or go pick up a thing. Like, I, That's I, a full day. Like, totally. In be- between like doing my laundry. Right. Cl- yeah. Feeding myself. Sure. Taking a shower every day. It's, yeah. It's bedtime. Yeah. And yeah. getting coffee yeah. and then, you know, doing <laughs> yeah. the three emails and then like. Yeah. But but that's our job, I guess. Yeah. Like I do. I say that on stage. I I talk about how, like, I, you know, I shop at Whole Foods, but sometimes I, there's two other supermarkets I go to, and sometimes I'll go to all three in one day, <laughs> and then I say, like, I don't know what you think comics do during the day. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But that's what I'm doing. I'm 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 slammed right now because I'm show running a show, and it's the first time I've been in an office Monday to Friday that oh, in yeah. in maybe my since my early twenties, and it's. Uh, Oh man, I, I and I'm supposed to be a a good leader, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm like staring at the clock and and I, I everyone can asleep. feel it. Yeah, I get exhausted. It's exhausting for some reason. Just to be in an office, like yeah. right away, like when I had a writer's room, I'm like, I got it, I got to sleep. Yeah. What yeah. show are you running? It's this. It's a new show I'm doing um, for Netflix Canada. It's oh. a thriller about two teenage girls who get sent to like a troubled teen school oh. in the woods. Did you create it? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And then they it's a sort of cult thriller. Yeah. Oh, so there yeah. you go. You're you're uh you're kind of exercising demons. Always. Yeah, I got I know. I got to move on. <laughs> Stop processing my teens. Well, but, no, but this at least seems like a fictional landscape because in the show that that I watched, what was that called? Feel good. Feel good. Yeah. I mean, this was that that was you being you. Yeah, it was uh, super, some version. Yeah. Because I could feel it because I did that with Marin where it's it's almost too personal for pe- for people to have distance from. Yeah. Like they watch it and you're like, this isn't made up. I know. I right? know. And people feel like they know you and you're like, well, you kind of do, you I guess. You kind of do. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's a, it's a weird way to do a show, but my creativity is like that too. It's very hard for me to imagine some, you know, fictional landscape where I can create. Even coming up with a fictional job for a character I'm going to play, I'm like, I, I don't really know how to do any other yeah. job. Yeah. And, yeah. And write it with, you know. Well, I think there's something about people... In, in, but your struggle was actually more specific. But when you are, for one reason or another, trying to just find yourself and hold on to it, mm. I mean, that's sort of all you can do. Yeah. Right? Because I, you know, with comedy, it was always this journey. It wasn't like I didn't want to be an entertainer. I felt like I was pursuing some sort of, you know, truth or about myself or about or about being seen or about having at least boundaries where I could see that like I'm me. Yes. And and that That's such a good way to put it. Right? Yeah. Like this is my territory. I, I'm going to find myself here. Yeah. And you guys have to sit through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, being seen maybe because you, yeah, you, you want to be understood and yeah. Right. Yeah. But for you the struggle was more physical. I I didn't realize, but yeah, I think it really was. Yeah. And and yeah, I don't know if, for you, like 
I hadn't really acted before, and then playing myself, yep. was, and then after that, I thought, oh, okay, I could. Now I, do it. yeah, but it, it definitely was. I, I didn't understand about acting. No, you at had all. to. Yeah, I, I didn't. I'd done a few little things. Yeah, but going into that show that not a lot of people saw, but I did four seasons of it. I knew from other comics doing those things that I wasn't going to be good for yeah. for maybe the first season. Yeah, all of it. Yes, and I'm just going to have to suck that up. Oh. And, terrifying. Yeah, but you do learn how to be on a set because there's yeah. so many other things other than just showing up and being present for the acting. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you got to be a person that sort of like is able to not deal with the, not notice the cameras, do, mm-hmm. you know, just find the focus. And you learn how to do that. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was just about arranging my face in the emotion. And <laughs> like, I, I was like, how do I make my, I got to make my face look really sad. And then Someone was like, just feel sad and your face will naturally do it. Yeah. I was like, all oh, right, yeah, right. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I have to arrange my face. <laughs> Oddly, that's a good instinct because Jeff Daniels told me that you have to learn how to work your face. Oh, because really? Because all of film acting is the face. I never thought about it. Yeah. But when you look at movies, it's almost— It's just face. It is kind of. Yeah. And sometimes you, you think, oh, man, this is— skin deep right now this scene i'm not oh, feeling course. it yeah, yeah, yeah. this is gonna look terrible yeah. and then you watch it and you're like that's the best scene and i yeah. wasn't feeling anything yeah yeah so I, I just pulled it off yeah pulled him again <laughs> yeah. yeah i and I'm, i breathe through my mouth so i'm always nervous my mouth is gonna be hanging open but so that's a real style you notice some actors always have their mouths open oh really oh of, good it kind of works I oh think. good yeah. okay i'll lean into it <laughs> yeah I'll lean into it mouth wide open yeah <laughs> yeah just gasping for air <laughs> yeah so wait so when you moved to england you were 20 yeah, 21. 21, yeah. and you were headlining already? I managed to skip over kind of open mics because I, I already had stuff from sure, Canada. Right. So I wasn't headlining, but... Featuring? Strong feature? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then doing the clubs. And then also there's such a culture of like the Edinburgh Fringe Festival there and more theatrical stuff. And I don't know how you did it. Like I, you know, I, I make myself crazy about cultural differences, but um, it's yeah. different. It's de- it's definitely different doing comedy there than it is here. It's so different. And the fringe thing, like, you know, just sort of, you know, you know, package your comedy into a, a you know, a kind of, you know, mushy theme yeah. for an <laughs> yeah. hour. Like, a lot of that stuff is a stretch, but uh, I did a couple one-person shows, and, like, I... It, it is, by the end of the month, it, you're super tight. I mean, yeah. that, to do an hour every night like that for random Scottish audiences is... But did you always think it, thematically? I mean, because you do bits and you were doing short sets in, in Britain, right? Like 1520s? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then... Just stand up, but then you kind of sort of... Was it always autobiographical after a certain point? Sort of. My my first couple of hours in Edinburgh were just a mishmash of like right. like sort of musical comedy and bits. Oh, and really? Just like a really... Some, yeah. You do some singing? Oh man, I, I yeah, now I'm I'm doing like earnest, like I'm putting out an album this year of the most mediocre emotional songs. Really? I'll send, yeah. Do you I, play guitar? Or I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, but back then I was doing like changing the lyrics to existing songs, like the parodies. the lowest form of sure. comedy. Yeah, of um, course. But wow. yeah, and then and then I think having watching tons of shows up there, I was like, okay, people have this kind of theatrical arc to their hour, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, and then yeah kind of put it together that way put the guitar so you're doing, away and... but 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 you put together your sets with a theme or with at least an arc the last the hours. few hours yeah yeah because this one's that way sap is yeah vaguely yeah, yeah kind of yeah um well you know it's a, the trick is the callback i mean if you don't yeah. have a theatrical arc if you got a couple callbacks it, that's it's it, it yeah it, it's, get, it, it serves the same purpose it, it tricks people into feeling like they've seen something yeah. really it's amazing yeah. how often it tricks them yeah they're all they're very excited about callbacks mm-hmm. um but wait tell me about this uh this earnest 
album that you? Well, I only. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 embarrassed by it, and so I don't know how I'm ever going to promote it. I might just put it out and and you have a label, or are you just going to do it? Yeah, yourself? no, I got a label. <laughs> it's fucked, and I um, yeah, I've always played music and stuff, and done you know yeah. sad Elliot Smith covers and stuff. Sure. And then recently, I um, I don't know when I moved to LA, I, yeah. I knew more musicians than comics out here, and so I was we I did an album. Wow. It's uh, it's if a musician listens to it, I think they'll be like, this is very mediocre, but I think hopefully people who like me will get that it's like an extension of yeah you know yeah well i think the audience you have if you don't somehow upset them is very supportive and will be willing they're super and they like earnest they, oh, totally. so i think they'll be open it's surprising to it. they tolerate funny i know <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but you because you play music at largo and stuff i do too. yeah so i I, do. I i usually do a song at in the Largo show. Oh, you do? Yeah, like with a musical guest, I'll I'll do like a cover or something. Like I did. You do you know, feel embarrassed about it? Of course. Okay, good. I'm glad because I really do, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, I it took me a long time to like be comfortable singing in public. And, yeah. Like I don't really know how to write songs per se. Yeah. We the band I use in at Largo, we just do covers, but it's just for me to work that muscle and and feel comfortable about it. Man, I I so relate, and it feels like when you started doing stand up, like I'm, I get so nervous, like yeah. to sing. Oh, oh, My t- voice t- shakes. I'm like, what is happening? Me too. Like, and then, but but the benefit of having your fans there is sort of like, are you going to try this? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I'm going to get through this song. Yeah. It's a cop out, but fuck it. Yeah. I'm not there to put on a professional music show. I know. <laughs> and they and they are so, I mean, Largo is such a I know, joy. It's very, yeah. They're so warm. and. But I like, I wrote one song after uh, Lynn died and I, and it was like, okay. And I put it out there on my podcast at the end and I was pretty proud of it, but I just can't. I don't know if I can handle the criticism. Like, I know I'm an okay guitar player, and I know I can do, I can rock pretty good, and I can play with feeling. Yeah. But, like, writing songs is a whole other thing. And people are, like, I can, I don't like when people come down on my comedy. I know, I like, know. And this, and at least with comedy, you have, you have irony, and you can, and, but when you're saying this is just how I feel, it's absolutely, it's so terrifying. And that, I don't want to be criticized, because I, I love it. Right. It's a hobby. That's why I keep it to myself. I know, and now I'm re- going to ruin that for myself, but... Yeah. But maybe it'll turn out okay. I think maybe it will. And 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 yeah, I, I really, I, I think more than comedy, I understand that music is so subjective that if someone doesn't like it, I'm like, yeah, because some of my best friends, we listen to totally different music. Sure. So I can at least be like, yeah, all right, yeah. And also there's like, you, you, you take it in in a different way. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a magical thing, music. and it, But it is, I do love it and I've never done it professionally. Yeah. Because I, I think so. I just had a fear same and the vulnerability of singing singing is crazy oh. people some people can just belt it out and they don't give a shit like even when i was watching your show the tv show there's a karaoke scene and i'm like oh god uh, yeah i can't i couldn't i can never do karaoke and people just go up there and they don't care how they sound i know i would it was the most scary thing in the world i want to get over that but i i have the same thing and like my voice truly shakes and i i do want to push through that because i it used to be like that with comedy i couldn't i would my knees would shake. Like I, I was, know, yeah, 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 I know. What is it though? Like about why is it so scary and embarrassing to do to do music to sing? Maybe some primal like I don't know, man. I, I I think it's still that kind of that weird, like whatever our our sense of self is and the vulnerability of it yeah. and the fear of of being hurt. Yes, kind of activates. But I'm on like a lifelong journey of undoing that, of, like trying to be cool in my. Te- teens yeah. and and 
trying to curate what I'm present like because yeah. all the people I love are are silly idiots yeah. you know yeah. and, and I'm so I'm I'm really enjoying doing like improv again I haven't done improv in years and I'm doing that and it's like it forces you to be clowny and dumb yeah. and not as like and and uh, I'd like to do more of that it's super fun yeah, just to be physical. Like, I'm very hung up. Like, because I know innately uh, I'm physically funny, but when you do physical comedy, which in my last couple of specials, I've, I've got at least a couple of bits where I have to, kind of, um, uh, choreograph yeah. physical comedy. Yeah. And make decisions around beats physically. Yeah. It very and and, and it's um, it's always kind of uh, interesting. It's like a whole other muscle. I know. I'm pretty in my head and, and yeah, just exactly. standing pretty still right. and, or I know you sit down sit down and stuff sometimes like, yeah <clears throat> yeah and and so doing improv uh, I think that being more comfortable with myself physically has let me now if I do improv I'm, I'm playing like women and old men and yeah. little kids and it's like I, I couldn't do that before I had surgery and like because now I'm like, well, I know who I am, and I know people are seeing me the, the boobs way. boobs got in the way. They got in the way, you know? I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm trying so hard just to present how I feel and be seen, you know, why would I undo that by playing an old lady? Right. But now I'm like, yeah, whatever. Sure. Who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah, because you've arrived in your body. Yeah. When did you have that surgery? Like two years ago. And it was like the best thing in the world? Oh, man. It was so crazy. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, I honestly... But the decision leading up to it was difficult? Yeah, I thought about it a ton, but then once I made the decision, it was really fast. Like when did when did you start being exclusively with women? I'm not. I've oh, never still, have been. Yeah, never. I I always like when I started doing comedy, that was just the prefix to my yeah. name was like lesbian comedian. But a, I didn't feel like a girl, and b, I've always I've always dated men. Yeah, yeah, still, still, still. Yeah, yeah, I love them. I love <laughs> the guys. What can I say? So you're still you're with a dude now? No, I'm with a woman now. Oh, okay, um, but yeah, yeah, I. I don't know. I get why people assume that, but well, well, yeah. yeah I mean, uh, I I guess I I assumed it because it seemed like there was a shift. Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't. It, it still they never doesn't. went away. They never. Yeah, went away. they just yeah. come sometimes. The uh, guys. Yeah, they come and come and go. When I was in England, I dated a guy recently for like six months. Um, oh, so you're not locked into a, a serious relationship? I, I am now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For like almost a year now. Oh, okay. Yeah, with uh, I'm obsessed. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the first time I've been fully monogamous in a long, long, long time. You're obsessed, though. Is I'm that, obsessed with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, and she's a five-year-old, and that's changing my life. And yeah, you know, yeah, it's sick. really. And how, like, how is that changing your life? I just, I, I, ne I don't know. It, it's like you access wells of. How old is she? Your girlfriend? Forty-one. Uh huh. Yeah, just wells of like patience and compassion that you didn't know really. That yeah, you, and I'm. It keeps you present, man. Like. Yeah, I'm 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 awake at six thirty, and by eight thirty, I've like written a song and played a game and pretended to be a spider, and I'm like, this is great, this is life. You know? yeah. yeah. And so now, do you find your audience? Was there ever? Have you ever uh, like gotten into like uh, like have you been criticized ever by the LGBTQ audience about your approach to yourself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. They, really? There can be a lot of. Um, policing within that community for huh. sure i mean for the most part it's been amazing but yeah. like I've, over what like i remember doing a pride festival and talking about dating men and being booed by <laughs> being booed by a, a large number of lesbians like who were just mad because i wasn't what they wanted me to be that's or, the thing if you don't represent them yeah and they're specific they're, right i think because there's still not a 
not there's not a ton of representation. So that, right. I think if particularly if I'm like kind of cavalier about like labels and things like that, yeah. and I think that can be frustrating if you're like fighting I'm, for your life. Yes, for, I'm fighting so hard for this label, and yes. like. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> then I think that annoys people. But you made a decision how to represent yourself. You're yeah. they, right? Yeah, yeah. Which feels weird, and I, I just <laughs> like, I get, I get that it's weird. I don't know. I like, I, like May feels better. And yeah. I don't know. None of it really feels. <laughs> I all I know is she feels weird to me. But yeah. then again, you know, there's people people in my life who say she and I'm just, I, I'm just whatever it doesn't you're not like excuse me no it it, yeah. it it bumps a lot more before and now, yeah. now I'm like uh, yeah well yeah I mean you just got to correct people and usually if they're regular people they'll be like, people, oh, sorry, oh yeah. okay yeah yeah okay, exactly sorry. yeah yeah <laughs> they're not like what the fuck I know I know and it's, I mean, it's not like you're we're socializing with those people no and it's not yeah it's I'd rather just be understood and hang out with someone than be like have them be massively on edge. And. Yeah, but it, it is interesting how people want their version represented. Yeah. And if they assume things about you and then you don't represent what they think you are. Totally. The anger is disproportionate. Yeah, yeah. There's no acceptance in that, in that, in, in that relationship. But that even happens like, yeah, like let's say you're doing a sh- well, like even with with Feel Good, for instance, like sure. I had net, Netflix being like, you know, and for the record, I love Netflix. Okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're they they are great, but they you know being being like, okay, this is our gay show, and so let's we got to represent every type of, you know, we we should have an asexual character and make sure we're hitting this group and doing this, and it's like, well, it's always an a, you don't have to define an asexual character. I know. It's the one not getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> you're like i'm just telling a story yeah, about yeah, a yeah. person yeah, yeah, yeah but so yeah but like they didn't look at you know your girlfriend's roommate is asexual did they no, no, who know well, i'm sure they were like and what how does he what? identify or like i don't know he's like, just a guy yeah. like, <laughs> he's that guy at the beginning of your special yeah yes i love that he's yeah phil Berger is his name is yeah he's dating uh alia shawcat he's and phil's a very strange and special guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it was a, it was an interesting way to open the special. You definitely had a concept <laughs> yeah. for SAP. Yeah. And who directed it? Uh, Abby. Uh, Abby. Yeah. Abby, Abby Jacobson. Yeah. Abby Jacobson directed it. There was, was that at the Vogue? Where was it? Yeah. At the Vogue Theater. Yeah. I knew I knew it. It's a nice big wide stage. The You know, you do it twice and yeah. the first audience was just hammered and they were Ugh. heckling and. Oh, no. Someone in the front row got up, put their coat on halfway through. I was like, where are you going? She's like, oh, so I got to get my bus. I was like, what's <laughs> happening? I'm filming this. Yeah. But I was. I got to get my bus. <laughs> uh, who, who directed your special? Stephen Fine Arts did the last one. Oh, amazing. And then Lynn Shelton did the two before that. And okay. then Bobcat directed one. Lance Bangs directed one. I've had a few directors. It's a weird thing, the director. I, I guess it is whatever you want that well, relationship I mean, to be. Right. I mean, but you definitely, there was a concept there to do, to have a vibe with all the trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it starts at a campfire-ish kind of thing. Yeah. I've always had an imposter syndrome about this whole job and yeah. especially stand-up uh-huh. and, and, you know, starting 20 years ago in green rooms and stuff. Yeah. And just feeling, you know, 
not wanting to be one of the guys and not. Sure. So I think I liked the idea of presenting it almost like a kind of storytelling, fireside, warm thing. Yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is not going to be punchline after punchline after punchline. It's there's well, a more relaxed. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think that's the the way to go. I mean, you know, I mean, it feels like if you want to be, you can be punchline efficient, but like you know, it's nice to leave room for that. That thing I beat myself up again about for having that point of view, which I do as well a lot of times. It's like, why well, are you just not working hard enough? Yeah, why can't yeah, you just yeah. make the funny? Yeah, like, like what do you? Why do you have to leave that room? I know. I, well, <laughs> hopefully, but you're you're building to something, and you're sure. getting, you're get, drawing people in. And yeah. no, of course, of course, I I, I think that's true. But I no, I think, definitely be. Yeah, I I still think kind of joke to joke. They're just long, like the jokes. You know, big pieces are a bunch of jokes, and they grow as time goes on. Because I do most of the writing on stage, right? Yeah, I'm me th- too. Yeah. You do too. Yeah. So you're waiting for it. Yeah. You're waiting for the weird delivery. Yeah. That's the best. I, oh, the best. And then the the little <laughs> yeah. the. When laughs are coming in the setup, that's the that's best. That's the best, yeah. You're like, yeah. Or how about when you get one of those little gifts on stage where it comes to you and it kills and then you try it again and it's not, not yeah. as good. As <laughs> yeah, God damn it. But that's, I love working with Abby Jacobson because she's not a stand-up. And yeah. She, she is an, yeah, we, we have a similar taste and she was just awesome. Yeah, I liked it. I liked the, the bookends of the weird story about the guy with the mail. Yeah, it's a true story about yeah. the mailman. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of... Uh, He's bearing all the mail. Is it, what is he, mentally ill guy? Yeah, must be, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't frame it that way, but now that you mention it, he's probably very unwell. But then, like, tell me about, like, the, what, what is it, a power, a parable, an allegory? What was the last thing? What did you, how'd you oh, frame yeah. it? Yeah, this, like, Buddhist parable. It is a real Buddhist parable? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, now I just want to know when, when you did the punchline the mm. reveal of the parable yeah. which had which made a lot of sense to you but the audience was just sort of still waiting yeah which i kind of like so it be, that but that was a real moment it was a real moment for sure <laughs> yeah yeah because it i like when that it's happens. pretty self-indulgent that parable but i like it and and like because i write on stage and i yeah, I would, you know, just telling well, shit from my head. And, right, but, like, I've had those moments where you're like, this is, like, everyone's going to yeah. get this. And then just dead the, silence. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're like, huh, there's not going to be a dry eye in the house. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> not a laugh or a tear. Yeah. Just a little bit of confusion. <laughs> but good to leave it in as your closer, even though it didn't <sighs> land, you know? <laughs> I've made, well, you, you kind of pulled, it was, <laughs> so that that was real. Yeah. You had to, did it not land both shows? It never landed, and but I I didn't I did enjoy that. It, it maybe landed a little bit more in in smaller rooms, but I did I kind of like that. I I never I I make these decisions like I throughout my entire career I've made horrendous wardrobe decisions, horrendous, oh God, yeah, over and over again for years. Yeah, <laughs> what right do you at, mean, just for your specials and stuff? Totally. Any I, TV appearance. I would never have thought that. I think you always look great. Well, that's that's nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I, I, but like, like on End Times Fun, that vest and that collarless shirt. Yeah. The fuck was that? I never wore them again. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Never wore them again. <laughs> yeah. And I look at that vest. I'm like, dude. Like, but in but in the moment, I'm like, this is great. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? I did that. I had a, I did a half hour special. Yeah. And I tried a French tuck with my shirt like tucking the front in I've never done that before after and it looked so bad and no one told me why do we do it like why on that day I know why go but then I'm like I'm just gonna wear my old flannel shirt yeah. 
And I did that for uh, one of the specials, and it looked terrible. Really? It was just this old shitty, uh, you know, L.L. Bean flannel yeah. <laughs> that I wore all the time. It's too big. It looked like I didn't even prepare or dress for my fucking special. I think people people like that, though. I guess. Yeah. But the last one, I had a wardrobe person make some suggestions, and it looked pretty good. Yeah. I didn't love my hair in retrospect. I just do black or white T-shirts now, mainly. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But I was looking at the trees uh, that you had all the plants. Yeah. The forest and it was good. I think either anyway, so I said it's going to be, it's going to age pretty well. Well, I and the woods, the stump. I don't know about the stump. I know it was the first <laughs> time I'd been involved in a budget, and I was like, yeah, trees. Uh, and then it was the night of the taping, and and I was like, oh, this looks pretty sick. Yeah. And then the I said to the Netflix executive, so what do you think? I was about to go on stage, and she goes, yeah, it looks great. It's so funny. It's the second special we've had. Recently, that yeah. we taped with a forest on stage. Hannah Gadsby did the same thing. And I was oh like, what? My God damn <laughs> and then it. It, she showed me the picture, and I was like, oh, I can't change it now. But I was like, oh oh, my of course, God. it's Hannah Gadsby, too. Why? I'm compared to Hannah so much, even though I think we have totally different styles. Yeah. And, our, and there you were with the, with the trees. The last time I was at Just for Laughs, yeah. I, there's some comic. Who I bumped, I was with a friend and, yeah. bumped, and bumped, I'd never met this guy. He's yeah. a comic I like, and he was like, uh, "Well, you probably got to go to Hannah Gadsby's party tonight or something like that." Yeah. I was like, well, "No, but <laughs> I, I, I haven't been invited." But I don't know. That's a that uh, that's a yeah. How do you interpret that? I think it's. Um, do you think that like was. Is that the same as going because, you know, saying something like, well, you're one of them, so. Yeah, kind or, of, or, yeah. Or, yeah, I get that. But is he just, maybe he feels, it could be he was felt outside of it. and yeah. That must be partly where yeah, cause it couldn't subconsciously have been, it right. comes from. That sure, sure. Feeling, yeah, yeah. You you have a community and a group. Yeah, maybe. I'm just another idiot comic. Yeah. It, it must be hard to interpret that uh, that kind of stuff. Oh, but I'll tell you the story of my comedy, Central Presents. Oh, yeah. Where we were given... I did two of those many years apart, and my they let you choose your own background, your own set. Okay. Right? So the first one, you know, which was like the first Comedy Central Presents, it was the same one that Hedberg did that made him like forever famous. Yeah. Uh, that grouping, it was shot here. The same year? Yeah, oh, yeah. It was the same oh, bunch of tapings. That's amazing. Yeah, but I mine didn't surface. Right. But uh, <laughs> but I decided for some reason that because of the way I felt about myself, I wanted a circus sideshow banner. Oh my god, <laughs> so flamboyant! Dude. Just like, like this well, it was kind of subtle, but it yeah. was that a circus, just like freaks. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, I'm like well, that's like it, metaphorically, it makes sense. Yeah. To me. But yeah. to anybody looking at it, sort of like, what's with the yeah, what's circus? Yeah. So that was one bad decision. The other decision where I did a Comedy Central Presents years later and I was doing a lot of political material, was like, you know, I want to, like, I want to feel like I'm, you know, fighting the good fight. Okay. So I chose for the background to be a picture of a herd of sheep. Oh, my God. Walking the other way, right? A oh. bunch of sheep walking away, like, I'm, fa I'm yeah, facing yeah. you, and they're walking the other way behind me, and then I put a fucking stuffed sheep on stage. Oh, my God. To represent, like, you know, I'm Just the, to really hammer it home. I'm, yeah. I'm the one that's, like, you know, going the other yeah, way. Yeah, you guys are sheep. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it just, it doesn't read at all. I, it's just sort of like, why is there a stuffed sheep? And why is his head right in line with a bunch of sheep asses? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, when I thought of it, I'm like, yeah, fuck this yeah. is it. This yeah. is it, dude. Yeah. Fuck. I don't know, man. I guess. 
I know. You, I guess neutral is sort of the way to go. I was I was leaning heavily into the Canadian thing. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, the last one, bleak to dark. I thought that looked good. Looks really good. I just had a sense of like you know grayness and clouds that I found evocative, and then the guy kind of did that background thing, and it kind of all came together. Yeah. And the outfit worked. Yeah. The hair looks are, a little are you like old a, man hippie hair, but I'm not really a visually minded person. Like, are, yeah. are you like even with my posters or whatever? I'm, I, I yeah, can't, you I gotta don't... just get someone to do it. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, I mean that's why you you gotta. You know, I I've made a lot of mistakes with that stuff, and Same. and and as you get older, you just sort of like, oh, I like that guy's art. Yeah, maybe he'll do a thing for me. Yeah, that's the way you do it. Yeah, good talking to you, mate. Oh man, this was so nice. Yeah, yeah. What, I'm really honored, honestly, to oh, be here. Yeah, well, thank that's you. nice. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, me too. See, there you go. That was a, a fine talk. Uh, you can check out May's specials in the series Feel Good on Netflix, as well as their podcast, Handsome, and Audible series Benefits with Friends. Hang out for a minute, people. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, if you want some classic WTF this week, over on the Full Marin, we posted the original edit of my trip to the Creation Museum in Kentucky, as well as my stand-up bit that came from that visit. So you move past Adam, and just to the left of Adam, a single white penguin. Doesn't matter that's not the right climate, it's Eden, don't judge, as a penguin. And then I realized this was just a, a, a mental palate cleanser for what's about to happen. Because you said, okay, penguin, you turn the corner, T-Rex, eating a pineapple. And my only thought at that moment was like a pineapple. That doesn't make sense. And I'm like, oh no, they got me! <laughs> to sign up for the full Marin so you can get all our weekly bonus episodes, go to the link in the episode description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF+. Next week, we've got three episodes again. Actor Ben Mendelsohn on Monday, then a special episode on Wednesday featuring talks with this year's Oscar nominees. And then comedian Rory Scovel is back on Thursday. Plus, we'll have more Oscar talk over on the Full Marin next Tuesday and Friday. 
And a reminder before we go, this podcast is hosted by Acast. Here's some nice guitar. Simple. Simple. And it's a song, if you know it. and La Fonda, Cat Angels Everywhere. That song is for all the Jersey girls.